that is our prayer this morning, Lord, that the fullness of our life, the words that we say, the perspectives that we have, the purposes that we fulfill, the desires that occupy our attention, the efforts and activities of our day, the way that we speak, the way that we live, the way that we carry out our day-to-day routines, that in every way that Jesus might be glorified through our lives, that you might occupy first place, you might have the foremost attention, and that people may see Jesus reflecting from our life and that you would use us in some way as a catalyst for gospel witness. Give us the joy, O Lord, of seeing hearts drawn to the gospel because of lives that we live that reflect a commitment to Christ, obedience to your word, a love for the scriptures, a devotion to Jesus, a satisfaction for the things that you have given to us in Christ and hope that looks to heaven rather than hope that is occupied on the things of this world. Father, I pray that in every way the end of all things would be at the forefront of our attention as we're going to see in our passage today. That as we think about the coming of Christ, as we think about what you have purchased for us on the cross, as we think about what is possible because of resurrection life, the guarantee of your spirit who lives inside, purchased for us and obtaining and uh, confirming that, uh, that work of Christ that you've accomplished on the cross of redemption, that the precious blood of Christ has made us yours. May we live our lives that manifest the reality of that truth as we set our sights on the things that are to come, as we have the end of all things at the forefront of our attention. May it show up in how we live, in how we speak, in the motives for which we carry out our day-to-day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get started, I just want to Uh, ask again that you would pray for Alex and I. We're going to be getting on a plane in just a couple of days on Tuesday, and we're going to be heading to Russia. It's um, something we're looking forward to. I I know there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, we're looking forward to the opportunity of encouraging and supporting uh, and, um, and, and hopefully coming alongside some Christian leaders who are partners with us in the gospel and encouraging other saints, their their congregations, brothers and sisters in Christ, who, uh, who will hopefully benefit from uh, the instruction that we'll give, not only from the major prophets, but also from spiritual disciplines. Would you pray for us as we, as we go? Uh, you can also partner with us. There's still a lot of money to raise to help us get there and back. Uh, if you would consider helping us uh, financially, that would be a blessing as well. You can just mark a check uh, for Russia and put it in the offering box in the back. That would be beneficial too. Uh, not only in getting there, but also in, in supporting the pastors who are coming to the module uh, so that they can, um, they can come and have their expenses covered. Pastor David, I don't know, maybe he is on his way. Uh, he and Brenda are 
going to Florida. They're going to be ministering to uh, some fellow believers there in Florida uh, for a missions conference that they're having there. Please be praying for him as well. Thank you for the chance of representing you as a church all around the country and all around the world. What a blessing that is to be able to go. It's possible because of, um, of your generosity in, in making that available. Um, Tom Zentz will be preaching next week. Jesse Hill will be preaching in a couple weeks from now. I'll be praying for them. Um, and uh, what, a, what a blessing it is to be able to entrust the ministry to faithful people. Well, our passage this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in verse 7 through 11. Uh, the opening phrase is, the end of all things is at hand. Now, what does that mean for us? What, what, what's the big deal? Who cares about the end of all things is at hand? And how should that mark your life? How should that, how should that order your priorities? How should that steer and guide your perspectives, your motives? Well, as we saw earlier in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, you remember it says, Of this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired diligently. God revealed knowledge to them. God helped them to understand there was a Messiah, there was a salvation that was coming, and there was an eagerness that was built in. There was this earnest seeking, a desiring to know when this would be fulfilled. When would the culmination of God's promise going all the way back to the garden, when would that culminate in, in God overcoming sin, bringing a Savior, and leading us back in to relationship with Him? And what would that look like? The prophets inquired and searched diligently. This is also true of those living in the first century. Maybe you remember the, the, the narrative of the birth of Christ in, in Simeon, who was there in Jerusalem. We find his story in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This yearning, anticipation, eagerness, waiting, wanting, looking forward to the coming and the consolation, the fulfillment, and maybe the consummation of all that had been promised and would be fulfilled in Jesus. His heart beat for the coming of Christ. It was also true of the disciples who walked through ministry with Jesus. And, and there in the final week before Jesus would go to the cross, they're sitting across from, the, from Jerusalem uh, looking from the Mount of Olives, we find in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. They were sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? This anticipation, this longing, this waiting for the culmination of all that had been promised and fulfilled in Jesus. When's this going to happen, Lord? When's it going to come? We expect this to happen. And of course, Jesus would go to the cross. He would be raised. He would spend 40 days 
with the disciples, and then he would ascend to the Father. And on that day that he ascended to the Father, they had the same conversation. There Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus is about ready to be caught up into heaven. And the disciples again ask in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. This yearning, this anticipation, this longing for the coming of Christ. When would the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament happen? When would they culminate in Jesus bringing to fruition the very things that he had, that he had promised through his prophets in the word? And throughout the centuries, the church has waited, anticipated, looked for, longed for the coming of Christ. So that in A.D. 500, some theologians named uh, Hippolytus of Rome, uh, Irenaeus, Sextus Julius, decided that based upon the, the dimensions of the ark, A.D. 500 must be the time when Jesus would come. Of course, they were wrong, but their anticipation, their longing and waiting for the coming of Christ knowing that it would be fulfilled in looking into the scriptures and waiting for his arrival. In AD 1000, Pope Sylvester predicted that Christ would return. And others decided that, well, no, I guess the clock must start ticking at AD 33. So in another uh, 1,000 years from there, when 1033, maybe that would be when Jesus would come. Even John Wesley got in on the action and predicted that the millennial kingdom would begin in 1838 based upon his understanding of Revelation chapter 12 to 14. Throughout the centuries, people have anticipated the coming of Christ. It is a healthy thing for us to anticipate. It is a godly thing for us to anticipate. We're encouraged in our passage this morning, the end of all things is at hand. It's near, it's coming. How will that begin to prepare your heart? What will be the marks of readiness? What will believers look like who are anticipating the coming of Jesus? Jesus would tell his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Stop being preoccupied about the timing and start being preoccupied with the mission. Recognize the Spirit is indwelling you. Recognize the mission you've been called to. Be active and urgent and zealous about the work that you've been called to do. This disciple-making responsibility. The truth is, the time of Christ's return does draw near. We're closer today than we were yesterday. We'll be closer tomorrow than we were today. How are you preparing your heart? How are you demonstrating a readiness, an anticipation, and a longing for the coming of Christ? We see in the New Testament, Jesus' own words, that one of the marks of the world and society, and even one of the marks of the church at large, which is found in Matthew chapter 14, or 24, 
12 and 13 says this, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The church at large, obviously not the true church, but those who are followers of God will, will fit the condition in verse 13. They will endure to the end, but there will be a complacency. There will be a growing coldness. There will be a lack of love, a love that will grow cold for Christ and for his church. But readiness will condition you for engagement. And that's what we're going to see in our passage this morning. I really would like this message this morning to be a personal inventory. As we look into the word, I I want you to be asking yourself the question, am I ready? And is my heart demonstrating the the habits that would be true of a believer who is ready, who, who, who comes to understand the end of the age is here, it draws near. And we're going to see three habits that will be true of those who have this kind of mindset. Those who desire and anticipate and long for the coming of Christ, they will be marked by these behaviors that we're going to see this morning. So if you're there with me in 1 Peter, I'm going to read verses 7 to 11, and then we'll just move our way through these verses together. By the way, as a means of reminder... Uh, we've just begun a, uh, a new Connect class that starts it's at 9 to, to 10, and uh, John Massaro is helping to facilitate that class. I would encourage you to be part of it. It's called Outrageous Mercy, and it's going to be six weeks. Um, and so I would just encourage you to, to take part in that if you are not currently enrolled. Go check it out next week. Here we go. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We see here at the beginning of this verse, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore, because of a ready heart, because of an anticipating heart, there will be three habits that will be true of every believer as we seek and anticipate and look for the coming of Christ. I want to talk about the marks of readiness. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ to return? Does your life demonstrate a watchfulness, an eagerness? We see here here uh, in verse 7, the first habit that shows up. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So what is this first habit? Watchful? What do you think? Watchful prayer. All right, fantastic. 
Watchful prayer. This word, therefore, is different from the word, therefore, that we saw earlier in the letter. This word is a marker of result, but it's, it's more immediate. It's more within the context. Instead of looking deep within the verses that precede it, it's setting a, a conclusion or result that is near. It follows this phrase, the end of all things is at hand, so, or thus, as a result, here's what your life should look like. And that's why we're talking about these habits of readiness. Therefore, be ready. This first watchfulness is a watchfulness of prayer. It has undergirding it uh, two words, self-control and sober-mindedness. The word self-controlled is a word that means to be in the right state of mind, to be clear-headed. It's spoken of the demoniac in Mark chapter 15, where if you remember, he was uh, demon-possessed, and Jesus cast out this legion of demons. And then the people came to observe the situation, and we find in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed sitting and clothed and in his right mind. This is clear-headedness, thinking in a way that is appropriate and, and, and not jaded in any way, not distracted, thinking correctly, thinking rightly, thinking clearly. It's coupled together with sober-mindedness, which is similar. There's a lot of overlap between these words. It's also clear-headed, not drunk, to be restrained or self-controlled. There is a soberness or a clarity of thinking, a watchfulness, an alertness. It stems from anticipation or yearning. Like the looking forward that happens when you go to meet somebody at the airport that's been away for a long time. You ever had those experiences or do you ever enjoy uh, when you're sitting and maybe waiting for, for your uh, friend or loved one to come off the plane, kind of see these reunions that are taking place, right? You, you, you see the, them, them stepping off the plane or through that uh, security uh, uh, style and they embrace and they're, they're straining to look. Hey, there's a group of people that are coming off. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a looking and a straining to see if you can recognize the person that you're waiting for. Or we have in our family, we, we all do Google Maps sharing, right? And, and so I, I know if my kids are, are coming sometimes, and so I, I'm anticipating their arrival. I look to see, oh, hey, they're just down the street. So I, I, I often go outside and, and, uh, and try to greet them right there at the, at the front. There's this straining and anticipation, a yearning that leads to sobriety. It leads to clear-headedness. Something happens when you anticipate arrival. Kids, you know that when you're doing something and you know mom or dad is just around the corner, you can't get away with something. Or those who are, who are older, you know when your boss is just outside your cubicle, you better get busy, you better make sure that you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Or uh, how about uh, when there's a speed trap and you, it pops up on your Google Maps or Waze, whatever, whatever traffic map that you use. Like, oh, I better get my head out. You better look around and make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Or how about uh, those of you who are, who are in school? 
when your teacher is just outside the door and you're taking a test, you, you know you need to, to be disciplined. You need to make sure that you're doing your test with integrity. There is this thinking that, we, that, we have bringing, that we're bringing down from chapter 4, verse 1. Arm yourself with thinking. The thinking that we see in, in that verse also comes down and, 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 it, and it conditions your eagerness, your, sober, your mind, sober-mindedness, your, your self-control. There's clarity that comes because you recognize, as we find in chapter 4, verse 5, that he is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's the one who ultimately you're accountable to. And because of that, because of his coming, because of anticipating that final judgment, there is a conditioning of life, a conditioning of action. And those who keep that in the forefront of their attention will carry that into their prayers. Jesus modeled this for his disciples when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They say, Lord, teach us to pray, and built into that prayer is anticipation of God's work, not only in heaven, but his work that is happening here on earth. And we, through prayer, couple ourselves to God's work in eagerness and praying that his work would be accomplished in us and through us and around us. Is there that kind of awareness and clarity in your life? One of the foremost ways of seeking and anticipating the kingdom happens through sober-minded, watchful praying. E.M. Bounds puts it this way, few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer. Fewer still have any experience of that power. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are least skilled and the most averse to use. Notice it says, for the sake of your prayers, which implies the prayers are happening. The prayers that are watchful will be conditioned by an alertness and a readiness for Jesus to come. The first mark of readiness is watchful praying. Are you a praying person? Does it punctuate your life? Is prayer something that you turn to on a regular basis? Is is it built in to the rhythm of your everyday? Is there a a, a love and a relationship with Jesus? You, you, You wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, and you long for the opportunity to spend more time with God in prayer. That you look forward to the chance not only of communing with Him in private, but the anticipation and the culmination of that Fellowship that will happen when he comes to take you back to be with him in heaven. Readiness is demonstrated through watchful praying. You will know your readiness if you are a person who is praying in a watchful way. Colossians chapter 4, 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We are to be people who are marked by watchful, thankful prayer. We find the second habit here in verses 8 and 9. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
The first is watchful prayer. The second is fervent love. A ready heart will be a loving heart. A ready heart will be a praying heart. Peter emphasizes the significance of a loving heart in at least three ways here in verse 8. Notice he says, above all, which provides the emphasis. It's, the, it's a first priority. It's the something that you need to put on the high on your list of things to do. It needs to be the thing that marks your life from day to day. No surprise, as the sum total of the prophets is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Above all, the emphasis is added. Make sure love is a priority for you. And notice he says in the ESV, show love. The Greek actually says have love. And the New King James translates it that way. It says have fervent love for one another. And I appreciate that because we can often show love and not actually have love. You ever find yourself in that, in that uh, position? I'll, I'll, I'll show love to that individual, but I don't feel love for them. <laughs> I don't actually have love for them, but this is not what Peter is after. Peter is after a total rewiring of thinking and heart. He, he's after the love that goes deep, the love that is real, the love that is in your very being, the love that changes everything about how you speak and act and behave and respond to the people around you. Have love. And then, not only have love, he describes that love. How does he describe that love? What do you see? What kind of love is it? Earnest love. Fervent love. It's the kind of love that in the Greek is described as continuous, without ceasing kind of love. It's the love that doesn't go on vacation. It's the, it's the love that doesn't take a break. It's the kind of love that pushes in, the kind of love that presses in and engages. It's the initiating kind of love. It's the kind of love that God had for us. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. It's that kind of love. Earnest, continual, unceasing kind of love. Peter uses a similar word. It's the, it's the word as an adverb in chapter 1, verse 22. And wouldn't you know, not only is the word fervent used, but it's conditioned with love. Love one another fervently, or love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's the word that denotes stretching or straining. It pictures a person running with taut muscles, exerting maximum effort. Such a love is sacrificial, not sentimental. Requires stretching of a believer's every spiritual muscle to love in spite of insult, injury, and misunderstanding. It's the kind of love that engages even in the midst of hurt. It's a kind of love that anticipates the coming of Christ. And as that heart of uh, readiness engages God in prayer and seeks to know the Lord more intimately, the knowledge of the love of God for you individually and personally will then be uh, reflected to the world around you. It will be easier for you to love when you feel felt love by God 
and you understand the grace and mercy of God in loving you, and then you, by extension, will express that same mercy to those around you. Notice that love covers a multitude of sins. Love will cover. It covers, it keeps secret, it hides, it conceals. The word is defined as to envelop or to wrap around a bark as bark or a skin or a shell or plaster to cover up. It's the kind of love we find in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Maybe this is what Peter was referring to. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. It is a kind of love that recognizes the covering of the cross. It's the kind of love that recognizes the covering of precious blood. It's a kind of love that, that comes to terms with the forgiveness that God has bestowed on us and bestowed on everyone who has come to him in faith. And it seeks to represent and demonstrate the covering love of Christ for those who've been covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. It's come to terms with the forgiveness that God has given to this individual and seeks to extend that same kind of forgiveness in their heart. It's a love that does not cut people off. It's a love that does not avoid. It's a love that does not keep a record of wrongs. Rather, it's a love that restores. It wants the best. It covers over. It blesses. It prays. It pursues. It's patient. It forgives. It may also be a love that needs to confront and rebuke and reprove and to charge, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and also in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's a love that we find in James chapter 5 verse 20 where it says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a kind of love that Paul talks about. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It's a love that, that seeks to call people to enjoy the benefits of the Christian life to the max. So it recognizes sin and lovingly, graciously, comes alongside and addresses sin for the sake of that person's benefit. But not, a, not, to, its own, not to its own benefit, it's love to the max. It, it covers over when offenses are given. Peter gives a, a really tangible way in which this love will show up. He says in verse 9, show hospitality. He gives a practical example of love at work. It's a compound word which, which really means brotherly love to strangers. Paul or Peter has addressed this group, this church, as strangers and aliens and foreigners and here they are in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of their isolation and having been cut off from society in many ways. And one of the ways they can demonstrate love to God's people is by inviting other rejects into their circles to love them God's way, to call them to themselves. A ready heart is a loving heart. A ready heart is a praying heart. And then third, we find in verses 10 and 11, a ready heart is an empowered heart. 
It's empowered for service. It's empowered for ministry. It, it has at its forefront of, of its attention the manifold grace of God, the, the varied grace of God, and, and how to put that grace to work, how to put it on display so people can see it. That's the desire, the heart of those who eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ. Notice in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength which God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A ready heart is a serving heart. Notice it says, received a a gift. It's actually an active rather than a passive. Usually when we think about being a recipient of something, that we are a a passive recipient of that. But here the, the, the idea is to take hold of, to grasp, to acquire that what is being offered is being laid hold of. There is a a mutual and collaborative work that is happening. And when this is happening, it means that it is a gift. It didn't originally belong to you. But once having laid hold of the gift, there is now a purpose, there is a reason, there is a mission to accomplish in your life. Believers, one commentator says, cannot boast about the gift they have, for otherwise they contradict the gracious character of the gift, thinking that somehow they merit its bestowal. The gifts are manifestations of God's grace in its various forms. And they do this, they demonstrate this grace in terms of service in a way that is reflective of deacons. This word serve is actually the word uh, for deacon in the New Testament. It's to deacon one another, to serve one another. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have bowed the knee before him, if you have asked forgiveness for your sins, if you have made him the Lord of your life, if you've asked him to cleanse and to wash you and believe that he is the only way to salvation, that it's not based upon works, it's not based upon coming to church on Sunday, it's not based upon being a good husband or a good wife or an obedient child, it's based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ alone. If that is you this morning, then you are a deacon. (laughs) You're a servant. And not in the official sense that we would have pastors and deacons, but you are a deacon in the sense that you are commissioned to serve. You've been given varied grace for a purpose. A purpose to serve the body. You are stewards of God's grace. And when you serve, you show God. Notice, the grace of God is flowing to you or to, uh, to others through you. As a recipient of the varied grace of God, you put God's grace on display when you put that work, that, uh, that ministry or that gift to work. People see God when they see the grace of God, the varied grace of God, the gifts that he's given to you, 
come through in the way that you serve others. And, and, and people see God when they see God's character showing up in your life. As you serve others, you showcase the wonder of the Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And you show the gospel, you show the glory of God when you speak the words of God and you show the glory of God when you are strengthened by the power of God as we see in our verse. You will show that you are a servant of God. And this, this all culminates in a desire and an affection in your heart to pursue and shine the glory of God in the world around you. Gifts are not given so that believers can congratulate themselves. Gifts are given so that you can glorify God as you serve others. Just a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine died. The last message that he preached was on July 4th. In that message, he preached on Genesis chapter 47. It was interesting because he had been struggling with some abdominal pain, what he thought was just appendicitis. And in that message, as he was preaching on the death of Israel, the death of Jacob, he says in his message, I once was afraid to die as a child, but now I'm not afraid anymore. Those would be prophetic words in a way. Because in that next week, between July 4th and July 11th, he would be diagnosed with terminal cancer. That would then take him in three weeks' time. The question for us today is, are you ready? Not only in anticipating the end of the age, the coming of Christ that's near, but a life that is abbreviated, that is shortened because of the effects of sin and death that happen, and anticipation then of eternity. Where is your heart, is your life, in anticipating what's coming? If all of us were honest, and I'll put myself in this category as well, as we evaluate a watchful prayer, and a fervent love, and a empowered service, all of us would come to a place of saying, I've got a lot of room to grow. And my heart really isn't as ready as it should be. And so I want to just finish our time briefly, coming back to verse 7, and answer this question, how do I be ready? How can, how can, I, how can I make readiness a part of my life? What is the making of readiness? We saw the marks of readiness. How do I prepare my heart? How do I condition myself to be a ready, waiting person? It's built into this verse, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I want to focus just briefly on the self-control and sober-minded, and I, I want you to understand the significance of being alert. Being ready means that you are you're actively being alert. You're being aware. Again, to, to draw from the account of Jesus as he's speaking with his, his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, when they say, tell us, when will these things happen? 
what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus points them to the same thing in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 and 44, when he says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready, be alert, be aware, be watchful. Luke, in providing the same account, builds on this and provides another element for us to consider. He says in Luke 21, verses 34 to 36, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Notice attention to soberness. Notice attention to self-control. He says, and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In our alertness, in our watchfulness, one of the best ways and greatest ways we can condition our hearts and ready our minds for the coming of Christ is through prayer. Be alert and do it through prayer. Just like Jesus said to the disciples on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray. Let prayer be the condition of your heart. Let it be the expression of your life. Let it be part and built in to the everyday. May it be the focus of your energies and your fellowships. Prioritize prayer, being watchful by being ready and waiting through prayer. Second, Not only be alert, but be active. Be active. It's almost too hard to imagine that God has allowed us to be part of his program by praying for him to do the things that he has declared to us in his word that he would do and that we, coupled with God, can be part of this this program in some way. Here's what I mean. Jesus in the model prayer helps his disciples understand that that built into the rhythm of life, built into the kinds of praying that we should be doing is to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I invite you into my life. I invite your will to occupy my attention, to guide my steps, to to help me in, in my speaking In every part of my life, I I invite you to have control, that your will would be done in my life and that your will would be done in the lives of the people around me. Be strategic in your praying by asking God to do what he desires to do. I've also given you a list, a pretty extensive list. I think there's 34 different things that we're invited to pray for in the scripture. You want to know how to pray? You want to know the things that God wants to accomplish? Well, here's a good start. Things such as pray that God would exalt his name in the world. He wants to do that. Pray that God would extend his kingdom in the world. And on and on the list goes. We can pray strategically. We can be part of the the plan that God has put into place as we actively engage our hearts and lives in prayer. I also believe that as you 
are active in prayer, that God will begin to fill out these other parts, these other habits of life. He'll help you through prayer to be a more loving individual. He'll do that because as you come to understand the love of God for you, as you pray in Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 21, pray that you would come to understand the love of God, the width and length and breadth and height of his love for you, and when you know God's love for you, you're gonna love. (laughs) And when you pray, as Paul prays in Philippians chapter one, verses nine to 11, he says, it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. You pray that for your heart, for your life, and God's gonna answer that prayer. His will will be done in your life and you will be a ready lover of people as you anticipate the coming of Christ. And as you pray, it will amplify your service. You will come to know the serving God, and it will make you a serving person. You will come to recognize the stewardship that God has entrusted to you, and you will come to understand the great privilege of shining his glory to the world through the ministry he's given to you, And you'll see the beauty of the body working together, the the unity of the body and the strengthening that we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, where all the ligaments of the body are, are coupled together. They're providing strength. And you come to understand the beauty of that through prayer. And it will focus your efforts and energies to being a praying person. So how do you pray? You certainly need to be praying privately, individually, but we also need to be praying as a body, praying as a corporate fellowship. We have several different groups that are taking place, one on Sunday morning, one that's happening, a men's group during the week, one that's happening on Wednesday night, but as a body of believers, as we anticipate the coming of Christ, the readiness of heart will be conditioned through prayer. So can I encourage you, if you're not part of a group, to start one? Can I encourage you to to commit yourself to be doing this on a regular basis as you pray together and grow together in your love for Jesus and inviting God's will to be done in your life, the life of this church, your community, and this country? The promise is found here at at verse 11. When we have a ready heart, God will be glorified. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is interested in his glory, and he's interested in ready hearts, those who are anticipating and looking forward to his arrival, not complacent, Not a love that's growing cold, but a love that is amplified and conditioned through readiness and watchfulness. It especially happens through prayer. Will we be a praying people? Will we be a ready people? May God help us to do that. Father, we need your help. We take inventory of our lives and we recognize how far we come to the standard and yet how much we want to represent you in this world in a way that is representative and consistent with a heart that is watchful 
and yearning and longing for the things that really matter. May that be written across our lives. And may it show up in our day-to-day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you this week.